all good. God is good. He loves us, but it's important for us to feel his love and to experience it because uh, that's where truth is. Truth is in the experiential aspect of it. Remember the Bible says in John 8, it says you will know the truth. And remember that word know is beyond just information. You need to experience the truth. And then the truth will set you free. You know, so if you, if you don't go and appropriate his mercy when you've done something that you violated, uh, you, you know, in your, uh, your conscience, well, if you don't do it at a hot level to experience that freedom, well, guess what? Thank you so much. Guess what? Well, then, yes, you did have the truth informationally, but you didn't experience it. So you can't be set free. And the Holy Spirit can only lead you into the freedom of anything when you engage with the truth, when you engage experience, in other words, what he has already given. Well, I want to just speak with you guys a little bit on, on some obviously practical aspects that I want you to see from the word of God um, concerning uh, the identity, concerning the series that we've been doing. And um, if you don't mind, just open your Bibles to Matthew 16. And, um, and you will see Jesus is speaking here. Um, let's start from verse 13, sorry. Oh, you don't have it. Okay, don't worry about it. Just leave it there. And I'm going to read it here. Matthew 16. know these verses, but there's just certain things that when I've been pondering, that basically has just come up and uh, I want us to, to have a good grasp, especially when we're putting things into practice in our lives, you know, um, these things that we need to know. In Matthew 16 and verse um, 13, And in verse 13 it says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi. Now, let me tell you something. That region, when you start reading up, is one of the most well-known um, one of the most well-known portals into another dimension because that's where man Herman was and that's that was the place exactly what's going to take place and what we're going to read now this is exactly the place where in Genesis 6 as you know the story the fallen angels the Bible says came down Enoch tells us it was about 200 of them, 
And they were able to um, obviously have sex with the, the woman here, and they created a hybrid uh, species called, obviously, the Nephilim or the Raphaim. But the Nephilim was that mixture. So, in other words, they had angelic fallen spirits, but their body was obviously um, they had human body. And that's a very clever move by Satan because only a, someone with a human body has authority in this earth. Okay. So very clever move what he did because he went back and he saw in Genesis uh, chapter 3 and verse 15, he knew, number one, that it was going to come out um, the deliverer will come out of the seed of a woman. So he knew, uh, but, but that was just a very, very general um, prophecy. And then we begin to see he gets a little bit confused because he thought it was Abraham. He thought Abraham was the person that was going to bring the deliverance. And I'm not going to get into the story. We'll do it some other time. But anyway, that's what he thought. So he went and he started attacking Abraham. And the way that he started attacking Abraham is the, exactly the same. If you read history, the way that he attacked Jesus through the king, the political king at that time, which was Herod with Jesus. But it was Nimrod at that time that he was ruling the world. And he basically was going to kill all the babies under the age of two. Exactly the same that happened to Jesus. Now, this is, you can find in any Jewish antiquities and historical accounts. So, you know, you, you, you begin to see, okay, so it can't be Abraham because it had to be now from the seed of a woman. So it begins to, and we see it later, that it'll come out of a nation, though, out of Abraham and from his loins, which was called, is going to be called Israel. And then... He narrows it down because there's a prophecy through Nathan that comes out that it will be David. Okay, now we've got the line specifically what we need to attack. And we know he's starting immediately to attack the line of David until Mary gives birth to Jesus. And obviously, um, Herod needed to use these astronomers, astrologers at that time and soothsayers, and all kinds of people, you know, that would predict and would be able to foresee and foretell what the future would be. So he saw all those things, and he knew Jesus is of the seed of the woman. So he knew exactly how to attack it. But he failed again, because when Jesus went to, to the cross, he thought, as you know, that it was over, but Jesus was raised from the dead, hallelujah, and we now live in him. So this is now the area when it says Philippi uh, of Caesarea. So, and notice what he does in that area. He's going to now introduce and he's going to show them something because he's already taught them how to pray. Back in, you know, in Matthew chapter uh, 5 and 6, at the Sermon on the Mount, um, when they saw Jesus praying, his prayer and the way he did it was so different 
than the way that they had learned, the way that the Pharisees or the religious leaders had taught them. There was nothing similar or in any way the same that the way that Jesus was praying. So that's why they asked him. They said, please, I want you to teach us the way you pray, not the way that we've been taught, the way we've been influenced by our church, by, at the time, the synagogue and all those religious. We, we want to do it the way you do it because the way you do it, there's just something that brings results. It shows the Bible says in Matthew chapter 7 that you, whatever you do, you do it with authority. And authority in a sense is you understand and you have confidence in the realm that you're operating. You've engaged with that realm. You, you've practiced in it. You've become accustomed and you know exactly how to function there. And we want to know. So he was in this area called... Um, Caesarea Philippi, and he's asked the disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, <clears throat> excuse me, am? Notice he didn't say Son of God, specifically, he says Son of Man. In other words, I'm, I'm operating here purely out of my own humanity. I'm not tapping into any deity. I have emptied myself from all of those things. And all I'm doing in this earth is I'm functioning as a man, a son of man. I have to learn how, you know, wh wh who am I, what I have, and I have to learn how to depend on the Holy Spirit to get empowered teaching and guidance by him in anything that I'm going to do. So he says, listen, I'm exactly just like you guys. There is no difference here. So he goes on and he says, uh, well, obviously you'll see here, they said, some say you're John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one, he says, of the prophets. Now, in verse 15, he said to them, but who do you, and, and then you can put your name there. When I read it, who do I say that he is? Who do I say, me, in every area of my life, who do I say he is? Who do they say that I am? And Simon, Peter answered and said, you are the Christ. And as you know, it means anointed, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Now, in verse 18 and verse 19, there's something amazing. Notice in what area he is. He says, and I also say to you that you, Peter, um, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, notice, and the gates of Hades, 
which are right here in front of us. This is the gates into hell. This is the portal that leads into hell. And I'm telling you that this gate here, which is one of the strongest portals that exist in this, in this earth here, this is one of the portals, because there's many portals. I mean, the Garden of Eden was a portal. How could God come down and communicate with Adam and Eve? He's a spirit, okay? So there had to be a portal. How can the, um, um, the angel of the Lord, which many times would come down in the Old Testament. He had to come through the portal, pick up a body that was always his. Remember, Hebrews says he never grasped to anything angelic, but he did later grasp once and for all into a human body. So he would pick up the body, come here, do what needed to be done through the portal back into the other dimension. That's how it worked. So Eden was a portal. Tower of Babel was a portal. All the ziggurats that you see and um, uh, in Egypt, all of those pyramids, I mean, they could instantaneously enter into dimensions from wherever they were, let's say they were in Egypt, and immediately be in South America, in Peru. Immediately. How did they do that? Well, they did it because of their, they knew how to enter the dimensions. Now, there was a guy called in the uh, 11th or 13th century, Moses Maimonides. And he was a, a Jewish scholar. And he says, when you read especially the accounts of his writings in Genesis, and uh, he was saying that originally man was functioning in about 11 dimensions. 11 dimensions. And when man decided to rebel, and he did, by rebelling, he did not lose his authority as a human. He lost his identity because he was before identifying from God, but now he's identifying with his flesh. And because he's identifying with his flesh, he could never exercise in those other six dimensions. So it was always the three and dimensions, as you know, length and all of those things. And the fourth one is basically time, which creates space. So we lost how to enter and operate in those dimensions. Now, when you see Jesus functioning this way, with healing and, and, and multiplying bread, he knew how to function as a full-fledged human being. And he says, through this new identity that I'm giving you, you will be able to do exactly the same and even more. The works that I do, you will do also. So, the first thing that we see here in verse 18, I also say to you that you are Petros. And on this rock, on this confession of who Jesus is, what he has done, he's talking about the name of Jesus. 
his works. You know, when you pray, I'm going ahead of myself. It doesn't matter because I wanted to say it a little bit later. But you know, when you pray, don't say in the name of Jesus if you're asking God for something to do to you or for you. You know why? Because that's doubt and unbelief. When you pray in the name of Jesus, means you're acknowledging that the work is finished. It's already done. And many times, why are we asking things? I mean, he told us, listen, when you come to me, don't ask. Don't ask about houses. Don't ask about shelter and, and, and food and, and all this stuff. Don't ask me about that. Do you want to experience and have all that because it's all been given? Seek ye first the kingdom and my righteousness. Why are you asking me? In that path of righteousness, there is the life that you want. When you come to me, I mean, we do exactly what Jesus says we shouldn't do. <laughs> you know? Please do not keep repeating yourself, thinking that God is going to hear you. Guess what? That's all we do. So in Matthew here in verse, um, in verse 18, it says, I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. And the word church means I will build the called out ones who have put their trust in who I am. The rock, my teachings, how to function in my identity. And he says, and the gates of Hades, notice, will not pre um, prevail against it. In the Greek is you. Against you. So we know legally once and for all, when Jesus went to the cross, he literally destroyed sin. He literally stripped Satan of all his authority and power. That's legally, that is, literally, it's, it's, it's happened. That, that happened. And we know that whatever inheritance that he obtained, he asked us to come in him and partake of that. Isn't that the gospel? Isn't that the good news? Now, but notice what he says next. And I will give you, he says, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The new covenant... You say, well, what's this new covenant? Oh, okay, it's a covenant of peace. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. No, no. What is the new covenant? The new covenant has three cornerstones. 
And the three cornerstones, well, we find them in the Bible, is 2 Corinthians 1.20. No matter how many promises God has ever made, there are yes to you because you are in Jesus. If you go back to verse 19, he says, listen, what I'm telling you, there's no yes today and no tomorrow. Because if the promise is yes, it's always yes because it's never based on you. It's based on his work. Galatians 3.13 is the other cornerstone. That he became the curse for me. And when I was here last time, I explained to you about the law of double jeopardy. That you cannot be tried for a crime twice. Because Jesus has already paid for that. And whatever therefore you experience in your own heart, you can go to him and obtain mercy and grace in the time of your need. Now, when you look around, let me just bring it down to reality here. Let's drill down here. Let's make a deep dive. Why do we see the gates of hell prevailing continuously against us? Because you see, the way the church has interpreted this verse, it's as though with a false concept of sovereignty, God sovereignly, now this is up to him obviously, it's his responsibility. If he did all this stuff on the cross, then it's his responsibility to keep the gates closed. And for them not to prevail against me. But no, look what he says in verse 19. To keep those gates closed, you've got to do verse 19. Because if you don't do verse 19, then the gates are continuously prevailing against you. Now look at verse 19 uh, in the Amplified. I'm going to read it in the Amplified and then also from the uh, Kenneth S. Weiss translation. So the Amplified here says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Kingdom is Vasilia, which has to do with a realm of authority. And I love here, he did not use the word kingdom of God. He used the word kingdom of heaven. Same principles, but let's apply them into the kingdom of heaven, which is the resources that you want to have and experience. I will give you authority of the kingdom of resources. Notice, and whatever you bind, forbid, declare to be improper and unlawful on earth <clears throat> will have already been bound in heaven. And whatever you lose, permit, declare lawful on earth will have already been loosed in heaven. One of the best Greek scholars ever is Kenneth Wiest. And this is what... Um, 
the Kenneth West translation says, I shall give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, whatever you bind on earth, notice, forbid to be done, shall have been already bound, forbidden to be done. I know it doesn't make English, but that's what the Greek really says. And whatever you loose on earth, permit to be done, shall have already been loosed in heaven, permitted to be done. So knowing, he says, the new covenant, knowing the gospel, you will be able now in your heart, because remember, the kingdom of God can't be accessed externally. I mean, we, we, we've thought on that so many times. It, you know, there's only one doorway into the kingdom, and Jesus said it's only from within, nothing from outside. You can only enter and experience the kingdom from within, from your heart. That's the only door. And then he becomes the Lord. When you enter through your heart, he becomes the Lord of that kingdom, of that realm that you're in. And while you're now experiencing that lordship, you will begin and have noticed the confidence now because you know how that kingdom operates. You will have the confidence to be able to bind and to loose. To say this is lawful according to what was in heaven, done, Jesus, the promises. And to say unlawful, the curses that are happening in your life. You would be able to stop them immediately. But notice, this is the key here. These things are going into tandem with your identity, your self-image, your self-worth, and your confidence. You cannot experientially, if you're in your heart, you can't partake of the kingdom of heaven if you have not established yourself in your identity in Christ. So what do we do? Because our identity hasn't been established, we get this amnesia concerning what our authority and its functionality is. And we default back to our religion. God, do something. In the name of Jesus. <laughs> you know? In the name of Jesus. So the first thing that I have to do when I enter into my heart, the degree of growth into my identity in him will be the degree that I will be able to partake of him and his resources that he has for me. So that's why there's always this process. I need to clean my heart of what's plaguing me. I need to release myself from the fears, from the guilt, the shame, the sorrow and the pain. Why am I doing all those things? So that now I can begin to see myself worthy the way he sees me. 
Because the way he sees me is what creates confidence in my heart. To be able in my heart to visualize and see me partaking of the resources. Or else my heart will never allow me to be able to partake. Now, if we don't do this daily in our lives, that is our responsibility. That is as a steward, steward of his life. The binding and the loosing. Notice, where do people get about the devil here? There's nothing about the devil. He's talking about your own personal responsibility, your authority every day in your life. So you're policing. Where are these emotions? This emotion does enough. This is a curse, man. I'm going to take it to the cross. It's going to die. And I'm going to be raised up with joy. This is what he meant back in the book of Isaiah where he says, put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. This is the principle. When I'm in business, when I'm in relationships, when I'm looking after my health, I've got to become confident in who I am in him. In order for me to experience his life. Now, you see, if I don't do that, the gates of hell will prevail against me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when we are taking of um, communion and we're partaking of it, 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 it tells you, I want you to see yourself in who you are in Christ. Because if you don't go through the blood and see yourself as this new creation that he has made you, many will be seeking sick, weak, and die prematurely. Well, that's the gates of Hades. What do you think that is? It's prevailing against me. In Hebrews 10, if you can put that up, Hebrews 10 and verse 26, Notice, if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, what is the truth? Your three cornerstones, your new covenant, you've been established in that. I've got nothing else to give you. There's no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. There's only one path. I've done it. God says to you and me, through Jesus on the cross, for you to be able to experience this. The knowledge of the truth. There no longer remains. But notice, a certain, uh, verse 27, a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. What do you think that is? It's the gates of hell prevailing against you because you are not taking, you're not becoming responsible. Of what God has given you. 
The three cornerstones we said was the promises, no to the curses, and Colossians 1.12 tells us clearly, you are qualified. That your qualification comes from your identity. That's when you feel qualified, when you're in your heart and you see yourself in Christ, righteous, complete, pure, and perfect. How do you see yourself that way? You say, Jesus, I'm basking in your perfection. So I'm growing into this reality of your perfection. And therefore, he says, because if you remain in that sin without going to that cross to let it go, because Jesus was the one that set you free from it, well, in your heart, you will have condemnation. You will have a fearful expectation that things are going to go wrong in your life. Why? Because that is how your conscious works. Those are the gates of hell that prevailing against us. We are here, we need to take authority. Stop begging God, stop asking God for things. The minute you want to beg or ask God, you must know, hold on one second, there's something wrong with me here, with this prayer that I want to do. I need to go into my heart and I want to experience Him because in Him, there is only life. You see, there's plenty modalities to be able to function in the kingdom. If you want to be healthy, you can't just go and eat healthy and expect things to happen. Because you're a multidimensional person. This is a journey that we are making people with him. There's no end to this. It's a journey. It's a tandem journey, me and Jesus. So today it might be what I eat. Tomorrow it's going to be something spiritual, something that I have to adjust. The next day it might be something emotional that I need to deal with. Don't tell me you're going to give up. What are you giving up on what? Where are you going to go? Where are you going? To some fearful expectation of your conscience. Is that where you want to go? No, I don't think so. That's why it is a beautiful thing to fall into the hands of God. You don't want your conscience to judge you. Please, God must judge me. And let me tell you what, you've been judged righteous because of Jesus. That's your judgment. You qualified. So from now on, please don't put this burden here on the leadership of the people and come and ask them to pray for something that's already been given to you. Please. It's all yours and you're in Jesus. All you need to do 
is find out that it's already yours and then just come and ask, Lord, how do I put this into practice? Guys, do you have some tips? This is what the Bible says, in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. And that does not mean that someone else needs to counsel you on what decision you're going to make. You've already made your decision. It's yes to the promises, no to the curses, and you're qualified. You come to find out if people have put it into practice and what were the steps that they were taking them and the Holy Spirit so you can have a sort of an idea. That's counseling. Counseling has got nothing to do with your dirty laundry. Nothing. Whoever is dealing with your dirty laundry is dealing with someone who's already died. Counseling in the Christian uh, environment is pointing you back to Jesus. Any other form of counseling to you is number one, a waste of time, and number two, is we're playing games. Because you and I know we just don't want to deal with our issues. So let's go, what they used to say, around the mountain again. <laughs> you know, merry go round. Let's, let's do another counseling. Maybe this time, if you show it to me from another angle, maybe I'll get it. Well, any angle that you're going to see it, it's all smoke and mirrors. Because that person is dead. The gates of Hades, there's no word for hell actually, is the gate of Hades. And the word Hades means, Avis means I'm not able to see because I'm living in darkness. I think I've told you that before, I'm not sure. And the darkness is when I'm following my own flesh and my own personal desires. Oh God, you know I've got a need, I'm lonely. Bring me a man. Bring me a woman. I'm lonely, I've got needs. Well, that's the wrong question because God says listen why don't you become with me together the person that is able to be the best husband or the best wife so you want a human to come and meet your need that only I can meet. Is that what you want? And you don't look around you to see how many have failed. 
And those who don't trust in me, they stay in marriages for convenience sake. And they create excuses. I'm doing it for the kids, man. I'm doing it for this. I'm doing it for that, you know. Listen, let's not hide behind our little fingers here. Let's not make excuses for our own personal selfish desires. Let's get with a program, guys. It's here. It's given to us. Whether we're in ministry, whether we're in relation, doesn't matter. It's not about me. It's about me experiencing him and reflecting it to you. That's all it's all about. And in that path that you are taking, the Bible confirms, tells you 100%, I've done it in such a way, it'll work for you. So are we going to trust, that's the question, are we going to trust our own personal experiences or are we going to trust him? I know we keep coming back to the same point. But it's important for each and every one to be encouraged to go and do it yourself. By this time, the Bible says, we should have been teachers. Why do we have to keep going back and keep laying the foundation? There's no need for it. So let's search our hearts this morning. And let's become serious. Because the days are very dark. But it's very dark for... For the world. That's it. For you, it's not. For you, it's glorious. You've already got all the answers, all the solutions. Jesus says, what are you worried about? I've been to the other side. I know how this thing is. Just follow me. Follow me. How many times do you get into your heart and you meditate? You should be doing it four to five times a day. Because he says, listen, I'm life. So how did you get, you know, how, how, did, how did you get by through today? With what? You didn't expose yourself to him and his life in your heart. See yourself as who you really are. This is the discipline that we need to put into our hearts because it will, I guarantee you, it will produce fruit. Where people can partake from your life because now they're partaking his life. I'm not getting on to you, I promise you. I'm just telling you, this is what we need to do, all of us. Because that's where life is. You know, I remember I was trying 
many years back. I just don't understand this acceptance thing. Say, oh, man, what acceptance, you know? You accepted in the beloved. What is, what is this accepted approval in the beloved? Where is the beloved? The beloved is, okay, he's all over, but he's in heaven. How do I connect with all this stuff and experience? And you said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Here it is. Book of John, the life. Okay? He didn't say life is in Barbados or in Maldives. He said life, notice, that's serious stuff. Life is not on a holiday. Life, he says, is in me. So I remember back in 2006, I'll never forget it. I created this Jesus image in my heart. And I saw inside this human being everything that I needed. And I saw God the Father right outside acceptance over this human being called Jesus. So he's saying to me, that's where it is. Why don't you step in there and you'll feel the love, the acceptance, the approval, everything you, that's what you want, isn't it? Yeah, step into it. Because that's where I'm giving everything. So step into it and experience it. It's all yours. You created in my image and my likeness, but that's the position you need to enter to experience it though. I created you in my image and my likeness to experience that. Angels can't experience that. That's why they get taught by you. You need to enter in there and bask in that. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that each and every person here has opened their hearts. I thank you that your word washed, cleansed, I thank you that each and every person will be able to take your instructions so that they can experience the life that they already have. So right now, just create that image. If you don't want to do it the way I told you, you do it your own way. Create an image in your own heart. Just close your eyes and create an image. The image is Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. Now go and sit next to him. And then I want you, when you turn and you see him, at the same time see yourself in him. Notice the peace and notice the joy. Notice 
what you've been looking for in life, the happiness. Not just the contentment that you're having because that's where it abides. That's where it is. Feel it. And as you feel it and you experience Him, turn around to the Father and say thank you for making a way for me to know and experience you, Lord. I submit and I surrender myself to your ways, to your path. I surrender myself the way you've designed it. I will be obedient. I will yield to it right now. Yield to righteousness. I am whole. I am complete. And I am perfect in you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. I told you we need a jar of Nutella and a couple of espressos here. (laughs) And we're all going to be happy. (laughs) Man, are you going to put these things into practice? Hey, hallelujah. No matter how hard they look, the Holy Spirit is there to empower and help you. So go and enjoy your Sunday. Have a good week.